0: Uh, if you're new here, my name is Britt, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I just want to start this morning by telling you a little bit about myself. Um, I was not raised going to church, and I- I'm wondering, like, in this audience, how many of you, the opposite, like, you would say, in my family, we went to church, you know, Catholic church, Lutheran church, Baptist church, non. you went to church somewhere, raise your hand. By far the majority, thank, thank you. So that's not my experience, and uh, you know that I get reminded of that every once in a while. That you know my experience is different than many people uh, that I worship side by side with. And uh, it really came home to me getting ready for this message this week and talking to one of our staffers. Uh, you know we're talking about finances today. I hope you got the email uh, warning you of that, but. Um, should I pray again so some of you could leave? <laughs> uh, and we were just talking about that, like, what was your experience growing up? And, and theirs was, you know, if I made $10, my mom sat me down and said, okay, we're gonna take a dollar and we're gonna, you can take that, we'll put it aside, you give it to church and, you know, here's a dollar, we're gonna save that, put you in your piggy bank or in your little savings account. And then here's, you know, like your $8 that you could go spend, you know, on whatever. That is not my experience. You know, we didn't talk about God or, or those things. And so a lot of what I learned as a Christian has been totally foreign. I started off from a place of, like, not even realizing that that was a thing. And um, so, like, I was, like, when I became a Christian, I was born again hard. You know, there, it was in a Baptist church. The guy was preaching about hell, and I didn't want to go there. He literally scared the hell out of me. <laughs> And uh, I went forward just like you do in a Baptist church. I knelt on these stairs. I prayed. And, you know, like heaven was a no brainer compared to hell for me. And I thought that, well, that's, that's settled. Awesome. And, uh, you know, I have to say, since then, I, I've not really been afraid of hell. But if I'm honest with you, every once in a while, I'm afraid of Jesus. Not like you put his picture or his flannel graph up there and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, you know, that's Jesus, I'm scared. It's more like following him. Sometimes that's really hard. Um, I guess. I guess when I became a Christian, I knew that there were changes I had to make. But little did I know how much would have to change. And little did I know how hard those changes would be sometimes. And little did I know how much resistance I was capable of putting up against what the Lord that saved me may ask me to do for my own good, like how resistant I'd be to that. And little did I know like how, um, how much doubt and and fear I would have in following Jesus. Maybe the reason why I tell you that is, you know, maybe that will help you a little bit in understanding. Like that, I, I'm I'm constantly right where you are in some of the things that God asks of me. And again, it's like I've had to learn them all from the beginning. We're in a series that we've called Devoted. And Devoted is a collection of messages about God's astonishing love for us and what it means to live in a devoted way to Him. And we started off with God's devotion to us that God is and always has been wholeheartedly devoted to you. It's an amazing thought. If, you know, if you're, I'm sorry if you came to church on this day, you should come back next week. But one thing I'd want you to know is that God loves you so much that he sent his son. And there's nothing that you could put between you and God's love. There's no sin so great that God won't forgive that. And you couldn't be so far from God that God cannot rescue you. It's an amazing thought. That's why the Bible calls that the gospel, the good news. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ demonstrated God's love toward us by going to the cross. So we started with that, and then we talked about if if that's true, then how could we ever just keep that to ourselves? And so for a Christian, it's only natural that we would be devoted to sharing that good news, sharing the gospel with others. And then last week, Jed just did such a great job of talking about how if God loves us, in that way. we got to love each other that way. We're to be devoted to one another, and I really love the way that he did it because he kind of dug into the real. You know, if I'd have been teaching that message, I already told him, like, I would have been all butterflies and flowers about how lovely it is to be a Christian with other Christians, but the reality is we're so different. God just puts us all in a big pile called a church, and, you know, we got to be devoted to one another. And, you know, devoted, being devoted is really easy until you have to be devoted, right, to each other. So I really appreciated what he had to say. But today's main thought might be even a little more challenging to you. It's this, that a Christian's finances should be devoted to God. A Christian's finances should be devoted to God. And it's probably like, like any other area in our lives, regardless of where you're coming from, we could all grow. So I hope that you'll just, like, approach this conversation with an open mind. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at uh, the teaching of Jesus on finances. And I think out of that teaching, we're going to gain a perspective. And for some, that might be a new perspective. Some, it might be just a reminder. But that's where we're going to start. And then we're going to look at an observation Jesus met in real life. And out of that observation, we're going to see an insight that kind of puts the teaching into practice. And then because there are challenges with any step of devotion, and in particular this one, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say that brings us assurance. Because when, when, when God assures us of these things, we can have the courage to take the next step. So we're teaching, observation, and assurance. Does that sound like a good plan? Okay. so. Michael, you can stay, the rest can go, because Michael's into this. (laughs) Okay, let's look at what Jesus taught about this subject. It's in in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 624. 624. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted, there's our word, to the one, and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's what you call smash-mouth teaching. What I think stands out to this, in this statement by Jesus to me, is that he doesn't juxtapose God versus Satan. Doesn't it seem like that would be natural? It's like you can't serve God and Satan. Instead, he says, we can't serve God and money. And this, this devotion that is connected to how we handle our money is not even... He doesn't even, he's not, it's not like a thing or something that we might be passionate about, something that would tug at our heart. In other words, the devotion juxtaposition here is not whether my heart can be moved by uh, kids in Africa without clean water, about a project to redo a, a room in our church for special needs, kids with special needs, or about puppies. He says that the dilemma here is our devotion to God. Because if you have a heart, all of these these things that I mentioned, they tug at us. But that's different than tying our devotion to God and our finances. And on this note, Jesus teaches us a different perspective. In regards to God and money, and here's what it basically boils boils down to: What Jesus teaches is that Jesus fuses the devotion of our hearts and our financial choices. Remember, we said that devotion is the fusion of heart, or uh, heart, yeah, and commitment. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's fusing our heart for Him and the choices that we actually make. The verse 24 that we already read about being devoted to one or the other is really a commentary on verse 21. Just a couple of clicks up in Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And here Jesus fuses the two. Your heart is in the same place as your treasure. Our daily choices, our perspective is tied in, in a very real way, to where our heart is. And we can't, just like we've talked about all these other, such, we can't separate the two, heart and actual commitment. See, if I just have heart for God, I might feel really great about my church or what God is doing there or a certain ministry. But if I don't, if I don't fuse that with actual choice, then it just remains a nice feeling inside. And on the other hand, it can't just be uh, commitment without heart because then we're just kind of like in this desiccated observance of the law, and it's kind of like robotic about our finances. We've got it all lined up, click, I check that box, and now I can move on. And God never can stir our heart to do something different or to rechannel us. It takes both. He fuses heart and commitment in. In this perspective, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He goes on to say that 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 perspective is all how we see the world. In verse 22 the light, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then the light within you is darkness. And how great is that darkness? Jesus is saying, on this topic, it really comes down to like, What's in our heart and how that's influencing our perspective, our, our, our world view. And then that's when he clicks into this practical thing of verse 24 of what it looks like to be devoted to him. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So it starts with God has to... Bring. we have to allow God to transform us in a way that our heart matches with our actual financial choices. And that only comes when God gives us a different worldview. But when he does that, we, we have the opportunity to devote ourselves in a way that we never realized we could before. By the way, I, I don't want to waffle on this because I want you to see the unequivocal language that Jesus uses here. He says you will either hate the one or love the other. You will either be devoted to one and despise the other. It is either light or darkness. You can serve one or the other. So any conversation about being devoted in our finances really has to start here. The only way that we will ever be devoted in this area or any other area of our life is to allow God to transform our perspective. And when he changes our perspective, that will make a connection to our actual choices. In fact, a great prayer would be this. God, teach me how to fuse my heart and my financial choices. God, teach me to bring those together. Starts with that. But next is observation, and out of that comes insight. We're going to go to Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Now, what I want you to see here is this isn't like teaching time. This is just they're they're there. And one thing's really interesting about this period and for the for the traditional devout Jew is like they would give their money in a public way. They would you could actually observe them coming up and putting it. And so and you could see whether they were giving a lot or a little. And so we're going to start that practice next week. We're going to have a <laughs> little tense laughter there. So this is what's happening and it's, it's not a message. It's just classroom of life. And Jesus sees this happen. So in verse 43, he calls his disciples to him. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. So a lot of you probably read this passage before. But, you know, when this thing happens, Jesus gathers his team. He says, did you see what just happened? He makes this observation, and he's going to give them an insight. Now, Jesus here is not knocking wealthy people who put in large amounts. He's just connecting some dots through observation. He's not, like, disregarding that. Um, People who had a lot of money were giving it, of course. And on the other hand, Jesus is not uh, denigrating or calling out in any way those who had a lot of money and gave nothing. That's that's not what this opportunity is about. In fact, there are, uh, some, I heard someone recently say there are two kinds of givers. There are fire hose givers, water in, water out, and then there are squirt gun givers. They only give a squirt and only under pressure. I thought that was pretty good. That's why I shared it with you. The widow's not a, a squirt gun giver. I want to read it again, verse 43. I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others, they all gave out of her, their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything she had to live on. So here's, here's the insight that I think comes out of a transforming, a transformative perspective. It is that Jesus commends extreme generosity. He sees this thing happen and he offers, he offers up an insight. And in doing so, he's commending extreme generosity. And I put the word extreme in there. I took it in, I put it out, t- pulled it out, put it back in. I kept playing with that, but I think that is just such an example of extreme generosity. And the reason why that that word is so important to me is when I read this story, it makes me really uncomfortable for a lot of reasons. And you might be surprised what those reasons were, because if I were there and I was Jesus, I would not have said that. This would not have been the thing that I would have concluded. If I was there with my staff, I would say, hey, team, come around here. You see what happened? This is an unwise person. What is she going to do now? One of you guys, go get her two coins and give them back to her because she really needs them a lot more than the temple does. Honestly, that would be my response. And if I were talking to the woman... I would not have commended her either. I would have said, you know, ma'am, you you don't want to give so sacrificially. You you have needs, And and you would not do it, especially if you knew what I knew about what they were doing with that money at the temple. Because do you know that, like, in just a few days from now, they're going to give that money to Judas. So they don't even spend it wisely over there. So you shouldn't have done it. Sometimes I feel that way, like, here at Sunridge, and I have no idea what people give. But, you know, Bob, Pastor Bob, he does know everything. Bob knows all. And on occasion, when if someone, like, puts in, like, a really big offering, he'll just tell me, somebody did this. It's not that that offering means any more than anybody else, but, you know, he lets me know. And he doesn't tell me their names. I'm not like, "Oh, Cindy didn't shop on Amazon this week." <laughs> but when he tells me that, like sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll say like, "Are they rich? No. And I'm like, Are, you think they'll be okay? Like, should we just hold that check for a while? Maybe, you know, should we just make sure that's really the way I think? I don't know if that's good for a pastor to think that way, but Here's the thing. When God changes our hearts, it affects the way we do things. And when God transforms our perspective and we become devoted in this area, then he'll fuse that with our choices, and sometimes that will come out in generosity, extreme generosity on occasion. We've often talked here that, and this is my perspective, that creation you know just speaks of god's existence. I see God God's presence in creation. Sometimes I wonder like if somebody looked at my checking account if they would see evidence of God, because it's pretty easy to live as a Christian atheist in this area. One of the things I want to just take a couple of minutes here and be super practical with you guys. You guys okay? Okay. So let's. So in your notes, you don't even have to fill this out, but it says give, save, live. If, if you're wondering how to implement this, this is something we've talked about before. Live this way. In that order, give, save, live. Give 10%, save 10%, live off 80%. You know, that, that's not mandate. That's not law it's definitely the pattern of the Old Testament and those that were following God at that time that they would farm or whatever and then they would bring to the temple 10%, the very first 10% is an offering. That's why I say it's in that order. But I know that like for some of you, that's super scary to think about. You can't even wrap your brain around not just not living off 80%, but giving 10%. But regardless of that, I would invite you, if if you're a Christ follower, I invite you to become a first-time giver. Or maybe a first-time giver in a long time. Return to that practice. You don't have to start with 10%, but pick a number. Pick a percentage and be consistent in that. if you're already giving i would encourage you be consistent i don't know if you've seen our offerings if you watch that in our weekly email but they go they they go up and down and there's lots of factors for that but you know sometimes i think it's just about consistency and if and if you are giving keep your keep your heart malleable keep it in a place where god can stir you up about things or about his work through his church so that so that you can continue to be devoted in heart and in actual choices in your finances. Now, before I move off of this, I'm going to get off of it. I'm going to get off of giving. So um, I want to acknowledge a lot of abuse by churches and individuals and celebrity Christians and everything. That, that is definitely out there. Some of you have been burned by uh, corruption in a church or... Or an individual, and, and some have just been burned by sloppy finances. Just because someone's a church or Christian doesn't mean that they'll, that they'll handle their finances wisely. And, and so I want to say three things about this church. First of all, uh, this church is a safe place to give. You should know that. It's safe because um, we operate off an annual budget, and we have to stick to that budget. And that budget process is generated with our finance people and with our ministry people and our elders. And all of our elders are not paid by the church. And so that process is is open there. And then, uh, every month, the board gets a breakdown of expenditures and income. And so they see what's going on. And they they have free reign to investigate anything. And and we have policies set up so that no person, me in particular, could ever spend money outside of the budget um, without going to the board for permission. We have to get approval for that. And then at the end of the year, we take all of our finances from the year and we give them to an outside company and they audit us. The reason why I tell you that is I want you to know that we're not perfect here but we're safe this is a safe place to give secondly i want you to know this is a strategic place to give because we're not just willy-nilly about our finances our our annual budget is built off of our mission which is to help people find and follow jesus it is built off of a five-year strategic plan we plan Every year we review this plan and extend it another year, and it involves our facilities, our ministries, our staffing needs, um, anything that you could think that we would spend money on, it's based on that. And that strategic plan is being dictated by our vision, which is to deepen faith, bring hope, and live love. So when. You know, any forward movement that you've seen in the last couple of years is all being driven by that vision of how are we going to grow this church deeper in our faith, how are we going to push ourselves outside the walls and bring hope to our community around the world, and how are we going to demonstrate love? It's all based on that. It's not just, you know, what we want to spend money on. So when, when you give to this church, you're giving to an organization that's being very strategic about how we handle those finances. And then lastly, this is a wise place to give. It's wise because built into that strategic plan, uh, we are being very frugal about how we move forward. And for the first time since we bought this building in 2003, we we put money aside to replace and renovate things here. Uh, you, the, the hallway's coming up this year. You guys gave over $100,000 to that fund over and above your offerings, and we are doing our bids and estimates and lining up contractors. That's going to happen. You're going to see that hallway totally transformed. And But, you know, we're not going to be all crazy about it either. It's going to be functional, and it's going to be solid, and it's going to be something that looks nice. That's all we want to do. But uh, we have a team of, we call them the A-team. They're constantly here. They're here every week renovating, different pro- doing different projects. They just totally redid our kitchen alongside a contractor who gave a lot of his time and material so that we could redo that kitchen. It looks amazing. They did such a great job. These are volunteers that show up every week and do stuff. I don't know if you notice walk... Yeah, you should applaud for these guys. The A-team is magnificent. And uh, I don't know if you notice when you walk up, but that entire landscaping area, as you grow close to the church, it's all been done. That is, uh, there's a landscape uh, contractor here in town that donates those trees, uh, a lot of the materials, and then we have volunteers that do all that work. It's just, we're we're this is a wise place to invest your resources, and we have a view toward the future. We have a plan to continue to renovate this building and replace things. We we had an air conditioner go out. We had the money in the bank to do it because we put money into that replacement fund. That's you guys. So you're not just throwing your money away. Now, there's a lot of reasons not to give. There are a lot of reasons and seasons not to. If, If you're living at poverty level, you have no income, I, my heart goes out to a lot of our single parents, single moms. Uh, you're struggling just to make ends meet. Man, I do not want you to feel bad about that. We all, I've had those seasons. Cindy and I have gone through those. <laughs> but, you know, I, I have to also be honest with you that I think in most cases, that's not the issue. The issue is us. We love us more than we love the things of God. Now, does any of this feel challenging to you guys? Well, if it doesn't, you're not listening. Of course it feels challenging, and I love what Jed uh, says a lot. He says, you know, anytime you read something in the Bible, you can pretty much plan or expect that like the opposite is true. You know, like if Jesus is saying we should do this or, you know, it's like they're be- those things are being said because it's- it goes against our nature sometimes. And boy, when I talk about this, that is totally understandable. I have two daughters that live here in town and one daughter lives up in Fresno and they all have kids, so we're in the grandkid phase. And our youngest that lives up in Fresno, she was just down, and she has our youngest grandbaby. Her name's Liberty, and she's at that age now where she's pulling up on stuff. You know, that, that's super fun. And I'm, Cindy and I are experiencing that all over again, wiser and older, you know, as grandparents, and not as much responsibility, so we can enjoy it. But we have a big uh, hammock, uh, not hammock, um, Ottoman. And she's learning to pull up on that. So I've been watching her, you know, and she, like, gets her hands on there. And, you know, kids are so funny. It's like, you, you forget how hard that is when you're a baby. None of you remember that, right? They're, like, their legs, they're, like, trying to do it on their ankles. And it's like, you just want to, like, straighten their legs. And, but she's been doing that. And so, like, what I'll do is I'll just put my hand under her bottom and just kind of, like, push her just a little. Or, or keep my hand there in case she falls, too. Although kids should fall every once in a while just to realize that life's, life's hard. But, <laughs> and, you know, like you start like that as a parent, and then, like, then you, you know, you're teaching them how to swim. And, you know, now kids get swimming lessons. I just kind of got tossed in a pool. And then my dad watched to make sure I wasn't actually going to completely die. And then he'd jump in, and that's how I learned to swim. And then, you know, like even as adults, we, we have that, that buttressing around us when we're doing something new and challenging. Uh, you, you've probably had someone mentor you in your job. You know, when I was a, a battalion chief in the fire department, I know that I have not mentioned to you guys before that I used to be a fireman. But um, that's kind of losing its impact, I noticed. But... <laughs> As a battalion chief, my job was to show up to a call, a big call, and be the incident commander (IC). And um, if a if a company captain already had possession of that call and was commanding it, if it was appropriate and if we had the resources, I would just walk up and I would say, "Hey, you want to keep it?" Sometimes they say, "No, this is your problem," and other times they go, "Yeah." So I say, "Okay, let's go over to my rig," and you know, like I got the fire SUV with all the stuff out, and, and so I would just stand next to them and let them run the call. It's the same thing. It's what God does for us when we take those steps. This is God transforms us. That leads to generosity in this case, but God doesn't just, like, throw us in the deep end. He assures us, and that gives us courage to take the next step. This is the last thing I want you to see that Jesus does. Jesus assures us that God can be trusted with our needs. Jesus assures us that God can be trusted with our needs. In Matthew 6, 25, this is how Jesus rounds up, wraps up, his talk about being devoted to God versus money and that Our heart and our treasure need to be in the same place. This is how he wraps it up. Verse 25, therefore, because I've been telling you those things, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now this little section starts off with therefore, And I'm sure most of you have heard this passage before. Maybe you've even read it, memorized it, claimed it when you're in an extra stressful time. But do you realize that this is entirely tied to devoting ourselves in this area of our finances? This is the wrap-up to that teaching. And if we ignore that, we're taking the passage out of context. And it won't really make the sense that Jesus intended for it to make. So, when we feel challenged in an area like this, what, aren't we really, aren't we really just asking, God, can I trust you? Isn't that like at the bottom, bottom line? God, can you be trusted? Just like in every other area. God asks us to trust him. It's true in your relationships. It's it's true in your business. When, When God is transforming us, when we're taking that next step, God has his hands there. And he's saying, you can trust me. Now, the way that happens for me, I don't know about you, but God's way is this. Trust me in this, Brit, now I'll take a step. It isn't like God lays it all out to me and says, "God, Britt, I have a plan for your life, and it is wonderful. Here's how it will work. I'm going to ask you to do this, and then when you do that, all these wonderful things are going to happen. You can guarantee, in fact, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and then it's like, can you see this whole big picture? Does anybody get that from God? I don't. Now you're kind of afraid to raise your hand, but um, it's like, take a step, and you can trust me in that. You know, in this area, I would say, especially if you're a young person, if you're young married or whatever, or if this feels especially challenging, you really need need to get this down, that this is the time to trust God. And that's the way he's going to do He's going to say, trust me and take a step. When Cindy and I got married, we lived in Michigan, which is like a whole other punishment from God. <laughs> but um, eventually I got her out here. And uh, you know, our first house, I bet it wasn't 800 square feet. It was the end of, at the end of a long driveway that we didn't have enough money to have snow plowed. Uh, I had to hand shovel it. And it took me about an hour and a half uh, to shovel that thing out. Um, we had one space heater in there, in this house. Um, and so the bedroom, you could see your breath in our bedroom in the, in the winter. It was a tiny little house. And our furnishings were what, they are all hand-me-downs. So we, we called them early garage. Have you heard of this decor model, early garage? We had an orange Naugahyde couch. and. You know, Actually, it was furniture that was in her parents' basement, so that was our first furniture. And when um, we really wanted to kick it in dinner at home, we got the lean ground beef. That was going big. And then if I were going to do really splurge on a date, we went to Mr. Steak. And Mr. Steak was about two clicks below Sizzler. <laughs> that was a big, big night on the town. Water to drink. And so here we are, this young couple, trying to live out God's will in our lives. And, you know, it was super challenging. But, you know, we tried to be faithful. And I think that in, in that time of being faithful and doing things God's way, like God, God was faithful. And as we took those steps, God proved himself faithful. And, it's, it's, look, I'm not saying we did it perfect. We cheated all. Lots, probably. I'm remembering it really nicely. But, you know, we struggled just like anybody else. But those years were foundational for us today. And I think the same would be true for you. Because you can't wish your trust in the future. By that I mean, it's like you can't just say, okay, God, when you iron all this out, that's when I'm going to trust you. Like, just... You can't do that with God. You, you can't wish it. that You've got to do it today, and then things happen in the future. We think in our relationships, you know, God, you know, it's like there's conflict. Marriage, another person, and you're like, okay, if they do this, then I'll take that step. Don't raise your hand, but I bet you've done that, right? It's like get them squared away. You get squared away, and then I'll get myself squared away. But that's not how relationships work. God says, you be this way, and then trust me, and we'll figure it out as we go. In your business, some of you are like, you're thinking like, just one more year of cheating, and then next year, I'll, I'll do it the right way, because I'll have this little mistake. It's like, that's not the way it works. You can't wish your trust down the road And that's true of our finances. The only way to feel God's hands underneath you today is to start pulling up. And trust him. I want to read a verse uh, just to wrap up. It's from Malachi. It's the end of your Old Testament. And it's not gospel today. This is not written to you and me. This is written to the traditional and devout Jews, about their giving. But I think a principle applies, and you'll see it. It says in Malachi 3.10, speaking for the Lord, Malachi says, "Uh, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. You know, you could scratch that out and put trust me. And this says, The Lord Almighty And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you will not have enough room for it. You know, imagine, again, using the Jed principle, that there must have been something going on that Malachi needed to say that. And here's a a time where through Through this servant named Malachi, God is saying, trust me and see what happens. Now, does that mean that, Brit, if I give a dollar, God's going to give me $10? I've heard preachers say that. I don't buy that. I'm just saying right now that if you think that giving is like a Ponzi scheme with God, it's not. I think God blesses people who are faithful. I do believe that. But that may not be your individual story. Um, In fact, the opposite could be true. You could, you could suffer a little. You may have to do without something that you wanted. That's been my experience. But you will never regret being faithful to God because you, you will be blessed in ways that you can't even imagine, and you will bless others, which is remarkable. Um, I heard a story, maybe you've heard it before, uh, about a pig and a chicken We're talking about Um, how much they love the farmer, and the chicken said, hey, I think we should cook up a nice breakfast for the farmer. And the pig said, well, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And What do you think? And the chicken said, well, I'll bring eggs, and you bring the bacon. (laughs) And the pig said, well, wait a minute. That sounds like you're involved, but I'm committed. (laughs) You know, I know that today I was given a pig message. I'm not calling you guys pigs, but... um, Most people love the chicken messages. But I just talk straight to you. And I want to tell you that I don't do that with pride. I'm not trying to twist your arm. Um, I'm trying to give you the truth. And when we started this series, we we looked at what, what what does the Bible say about being devoted to God? I mean, that's what we're talking about. Let's start there. And you know, this was one of them cannot be devoted to God and money. It was just right there on the page. So I've shared it with you. I pray that God will do his work in your heart as, uh, as need be. I'll be praying for you on that way. Let's, let's pray together. Then we're going to sing. God.